knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Everyone, uh, welcome back to the Harvesting Nature Wild Fishing Game Podcast. I got uh, host here, Justin Townsend, editor-in-chief over at Harvesting Nature. And uh, got some guys from the crew today here. Uh, we're not doing a special guest this week. We are our own special guests. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about uh, some hunting in different areas and uh kind of get into the how to's of of drawing season drawing tags and applying for tags and going into new hunting areas and uh Corey's got a a cool story for us that we're all itching to hear and uh that's it so uh with that <laughs> we'll go around uh and you guys can introduce yourself this is Corey managing editor of Harvesting Nature um Newly, the new turkey slayer, new, new uh, <laughs> bestowed name. You're the only turkey slayer on the Harvesting Nature podcast team right now. I hope yeah, that changes. It's, uh, no. six, <laughs> six weeks in a row now. Keep rubbing it in. So, <laughs> no, I, I think maybe in the spring. Well, Colin will get an opportunity in the fall. Maybe I'll get something in the fall. Uh, yeah. somewhere else but not in florida um yeah we'll see uh, hey everybody this is colin uh co-host now and i'm uh, happy to be back on the on the show well i guess let's start off with Corey's Corey's story we'll just jump right into it uh, so uh, i guess i'll start from the beginning lay some groundwork put you in my frame of mind get you all excited <laughs> Mind frame of a winner. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so with this whole COVID thing, it provided me a lot more opportunity to scout and prepare for turkey season, um, which obviously has never happened for me before. Um, and uh, so 
I, I got the opportunity to work from home. And so that allowed me to be in the woods first thing in the morning and not have to worry about getting to work um, and being at work right at, you know, a certain set time. Um, so the end of March and, and through April, I, I, I would wake up early while it was still dark outside, you know, 4, 4.30 in the morning and make my way in the, into the woods and try to listen for some turkeys that were still gobbling on the roost and see if I could find different areas that, that were holding some turkeys. But, uh, you know, the first few weeks I wasn't, I wasn't having very much success. You know, there was a couple spots that, uh, that I heard some turkeys gobble way off in the distance that, you know, and some of the areas that I'm, that I was scouting, like I, I would have permission on this one plot of land, but the bordering property would be, would be posted or I wouldn't have permission. So kind of limited in to where I'd, I'd roam. Um, but uh, I did go with a friend a, a couple times. We took the mountain bikes back in. Or what do you think the reasons are that that you weren't seeing a lot of activity initially? Oh, I think it was just the 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 spots I was going to, um, and maybe it was you know my timing or or the the calling that I was doing. I was trying to. I was just using an owl hoot to uh, see if I get him the shock gobble. But uh, so what what was your sorry, what was your strategy as you were you were moving around to these places? Were you setting up and trying to get them to shot gobble or were you just kind of moving from spot to spot? Uh, Moving from spot to spot, uh, going to like areas where like points, uh, you know, ridge lines or whatever and or, you know, specific spots on on properties that. You know, I have a lot of permissions to different properties, but the properties are like a hundred acres or, or or whatever. So, you know, you go to one spot that kind of you could kind of hear, you know, if anything was on that property at all. And then we took the mountain bikes in and would would ride and go down a forest road, you know, a gated road or whatever, and listen and um, see see if we could hear anything that way and. You know, we'd go back in a couple miles, and yeah, you know, I wasn't having a ton of success. And th- th- I don't know; there could be a, a variety of different reasons. Just um, the di- times I'd, the days I'd go out, maybe the weather wasn't perfect. There was times I'd go out and it was pouring down rain, and they're not going to be gobbling much when it does that. And or you know, my inexperience on knowing which areas to focus on, or or whatever, but. But uh, the day before the season started, I I checked this one property out, and um, I I heard I heard a couple or I heard a gobble back in the back of the property, and I couldn't tell if it was on the property that I had permission on or if it was on the neighboring property which was posted, but I thought it was my best you know my most promising spot so far. Uh, so I decided to go there on the opening morning, you know, thinking maybe I can call him in, uh, even though I'm, I don't think I'm much of a caller, but call him in and, and maybe have some kind of shot at it. But, you know, opening morning comes around and I, I get back in there super early and, 
you know, of course, as I'm walking back in, I see a four-wheeler riding up and down the one side of the field, and I think that kind of messed me up that morning. I, I did hear a couple distant gobbles, uh, but I think they're on neighboring property, and I really couldn't go after them. And then, you know, later in the morning, I, I checked out a different property, but never uh, never heard anything gobble, and I think I called it called it an called it a day or later in the morning and, and PA the first two weeks of the season you can only hunt till noon so I think I was home by 10 10 30 um, but on Sunday I decided to continue to scout in Pennsylvania you can't hunt on Sundays um, but so I decided to continue to scout and I went back since I did hear some gobbles in that spot I went back there and uh, in the morning, and I went way back in to where I was to listen. I didn't hear anything, but on the way out, you know, I was a couple hundred yards from my truck, and like I don't know what what made him go, but I heard one gobbler go, then I heard another gobbler go, and then this third one didn't want to be left out. And there was three gobblers right right down in this small patch of timber, and it wasn't too far from the truck, you know. So that that was you know very promising. And that was in the morning on Sunday, and uh, I was planning on hunting Monday morning. So a friend and I uh, went back out Sunday night to see if we could uh, roost them, put them to bed. And we we walked back in where I had been hunting the first the first morning, and uh, let out a little call. And they gobbled on the roost, you know. And we pinpointed their exact location. And we knew they were going to be there in the morning. And, you know, you know I, I was you know, extremely hopeful and excited for that, for that, uh, for that, that next morning to come. And so, you know, we met at the house at five in the morning, got the spot was just right up the road, got to the spot at like, you know, 10 after five, walked in, uh, hit a owl hoot, got them the gobble, they were right where they were, we set up, you know, we were able to sneak in without, you know, busting them off the roost, we got set up, and we were real quiet, sat down, and they're just gobbling, 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 and I actually, I could see them fly off the roost, and I, I you know, sometimes, you're not sure if they're, you know, there's a, there's a golly in this, in the, uh, in the property, and, you know, if they, fly down and go to the one side of the gully they're they're basically out of range you can't really chase them if they fly fly down to our side of the gully then you know game on i watched them fly down to our side and you know there's at least three of them there may have been four and they're just hammering gobbling 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 my friend's calling for me and he just you know just quietly does a couple clucks a couple little yelps and they're just hammering hammering i can hear him walking through the brush and and uh I, I, you know, all of a sudden they're right there and, you know, I got, I have my gun and I'm, I'm ready and I'm ready. And my f friend was trying to take a video and this flash was on his phone, but he immediately put it in his lap. And so I don't, I don't think they really did see it, but I thought they did. And I thought they were looking ready to, to bolt. So like, I just, I just shot. And I think in that excitement and in that rushing, I shot over top of it. And one mistake that I know I made, I didn't pattern my shotgun before the season started. I didn't, 
one thing I overlooked and didn't think it was it was uh, absolutely necessary, and I really kicked myself for not doing it. But like after I shot, you know, I run up to the spot and there's nothing there. I, I, I you know, I thought after I shot, there was a little sliver of hope. Maybe he's laying and I can't can't see him, but go up there and you know nothing's there. You don't see anything flopping and the turkeys are you know the next county over and you know i just wanted to puke you know all that preseason scouting and mountain biking in you know several miles looking for turkeys and and i blew the perfect opportunity i mean it was he couldn't have scripted scripted it any any better like if you were to sit down and write a story of how you would want a turkey hunt to go i think that's minus the, the missed shot that's how you'd script them coming in you know goblin coming in i didn't see any any strut because they hadn't been in front of us long enough to do that but like i i was so disgusted with myself and like i thought so well, i, I have a couple questions for you okay <laughs> okay so um you're, you're definitely super into the story and it's awesome i love it because it's getting me into it i can yeah. see colin as well yep um so how far away were they whenever you shot? Oh, they were within range, um, maybe thirty 20, yards. Thirty yards. 30. Uh, more than thir- between probably between thirty and forty yards. Um, what so uh, was, what shells are you shooting? Uh, they they're wind Winchester. They you know turkey loads three and a half inch mags. You know I'm stupid novice me thinking oh i got this big old shell and you know i can't miss you know just have to be somewhat close but that that obviously wasn't the case and i learned my lesson the hard way um so so did you go pattern your shotgun after that i did i did the it was either the (laughs) next day or the the following day i i patterned my shotgun and and what's uh, your uh what's your spread i got looking like 35 yards i got 150 bbs in a 10 inch circle okay so and does it make um, you make you feel a little more comfortable yeah yeah and my mistake was since i knew i didn't pattern my my gun and so i took the scope off and just decided to use the the beads but you know I put the scope back on. I I shot it a few times, made some height, you know, windage adjustments, and and uh, got it to where I had. Because I I think the rule of thumb is your range, your max range is when you have um, a minimum of a hundred BBs in a ten inch circle. So what I did was make a little, or I took a a t- uh, five gallon bucket did the outline of, of the five gallon bucket because that's that's close to 10 inches you know you made a small dot in the center to aim at and i went out to 35 yards and i shot and i figured out where the center of center of my pattern was made the adjustments on the scope and shot again and until i've i've uh, I think the last shot I had 150 in that 10 inch circle. So, 
So shooting at 35 now, you're pretty comfortable. So now you're headed back out. Yeah. So I, I went out once or twice by myself after I missed that one. Um, without much luck, I went to another property where I have you know permission on like the property and the property next to it, but then there's posted property, so I'm limited to how much I can I can move. And I got some to gobble, but I couldn't really chase after them the way I would have if I had free range. Um, so, I, you know, definitely, like, after I missed that one, I just wanted to quit. I was like, I'll just, you know, I'm never going to get this opportunity again. I just want to, I just want to, you know, pack it up and wait till next year type of mentality. And, you know, my, my friends are like, yeah, that, you know, they're, They've accomplished turkey hunters. Like, no, no, we've all missed them. You just got to keep after it. You got to keep keep going after it. And so I went back out myself. And then uh, one of my friends filled his tag on the Friday. And so he said he was willing to take me out, help me on Saturday. So Saturday morning rolls around and we load the bikes up into his truck and head to a big piece of game lands uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it's a area where he's killed birds before. So we bike back in and we get back in about four and a half miles. And then the trail kind of loops around, but that whole, whole way back, we're calling, listening, calling. And this is, this is what, it, what May 8th, whatever Saturday was May 8th or 9th in pennsylvania and it's blizzard like conditions it's freezing out i gotta put my face mask that i normally wear when i'm you know would sit calling them in i put that over my face as i'm riding so i don't freeze to death and snow's blowing and um icicles are forming on my beard and we're you know so it's it's definitely not it sounds miserable (laughs) <laughs> miserable it's not, it would be the opposite a, of us hunting in south florida <laughs> kind of sounds like fun i kind of miss that <laughs> it, it it felt like uh deer season rifle season in pennsylvania the way that the the weather was like so it's not something i wasn't used to it's just not your ideal turkey hunting conditions but we not what we, you think of when you think of spring turkey. Right, nice, exactly. Beautiful days and the sun getting warm in the afternoon. <laughs> Definitely was not that. But the whole four and a half miles in, we're calling and have, don't hear anything, don't hear anything. We loop back on another trail, back out to the vehicle, another four and a half miles and uh, nothing, nothing. We get, get to the truck, try to figure out where what we want to do next and we decide to go to the property or to the area that my friend killed one the day before he said he knew there was more out there he had he had other ones gobbling besides the one that we that we uh that he killed so uh we get there and um it's a bunch of oil lease roads so it's it's national forest land but they have a bunch of access roads but I mean, it's like a dirt path, really, that well tenders can get back in and check the the pumps for the, the gas pumps. Um, 
And we didn't take the bikes back this time because it's a lot, the lot more elevation change in this area. And there was no, <laughs> no way I would have been able to, after doing that first nine miles, I couldn't have done, rode the bike back in there. So we're we're walking back on these roads and we're you know just walking the roads, calling, trying to hear anything, and you know we spent probably another two hours doing that and ne never heard a peep um and then you know decided to call it a day snows just you know it looks like a blizzard it looks like january and so we, we start heading back out to the truck and you know we're talking uh, so i i start showing them or letting them listen to how my call is seeing you know if he can give me any my friend if he can give me any pointers on if my calling's any good and so we're both calling back and forth and you know making our way out and we stop we stop calling for a little bit and just kind of going along back getting headed back out of the property go around this bend that big hemlock is you know you can't see around the bend and we come around the bend and four jakes run across the oil lease road and like like holy crap there's turkeys they have beards so i pull pull up the gun and shoot <laughs> i i filled my turkey tag but it's not not the way i would prefer to do it i'm not going to complain that i got a turkey but it's not your typical sit down call them in listen to them gobble watch them strut it's, you know, it was just dumb luck. And what's that saying? Luck is where uh, hard work and opportunity meet. I guess that was, you can kind of yeah. make the case for that because we, we definitely put the miles in that morning and and there just happened to be, you know, the opportunity was there and I got lucky. It's, it's not, not your typical, uh, at the end of the day, you got a turkey, but it's not your typical like majestic um, turkey hunt, like you said. Right. I, I mean, either way, it's still awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm happy it 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 uh, my my first ever spring gobbler, and it it was a Jake, so the beard was like three or four inches long, and there weren't you know just little nubbins for spurs, but um, it's a nice young tender turkey that's going to taste pretty good so um colin did you see the picture that uh i don't know Corey, did you post it on instagram of the one you standing in the uh in the on the road oh no i didn't i just sent that to you no <laughs> with all the snow <laughs> falling around um yeah that was it's epic it's like he's standing there in the middle of the blizzard super snowy like you sent me the bird pick so I have your grip and grin. <laughs> there it is. Dude, this is like, this is my favorite picture of, of spring turkey season. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, man. Yeah, that was Yeah, that's that was our nice. morning. And it was like that when you shot the birds, too? No, it like that, that picture we took, that might have been 15 minutes, not even 15 minutes before I shot the bird. But like right after that, the, and if you look at the, I'll send the picture of the bird too. Uh, if you look at the the well, picture, the sun's out and it it looks like a beautiful day. Everyone will uh will post these pictures on uh on the article. 
so you can see the pictures too because they're pretty epic. It looks wow. like a, a classic Pennsylvania spring where it's 70 degrees <laughs> one day and then it's snowy yeah. in 25 oh, yeah. the next. <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever you sent me the you sent me the picture of the turkey first and I just saw the bird and was super excited for you and I didn't even notice the snow and then I saw the second picture and I was like, holy crap. And I had to go back and look at the other picture and I realized the snow that was on the ground and yeah, that's pretty impressive, man. Either way. Yeah, that looks nice. Yeah, it, was, it was an experience for sure. So what are you going to do with the... The the fan, you keeping it? Yeah, I, I uh in in the process of it flopping, it lost a couple feathers from the fa- uh, from the tail fan, but I did keep it and I have it tacked up on a board in my shed right now with salt on the flesh to help you know cure it. And I'll I'll see if I can find a simple little plaque or something to put put on it and. I kept the feet, even though there's not much, much, you know, the spurs aren't much to speak of, and uh, I have the beard, and I'm, I'm going to try to um, skin and boil the the skull to do like European mount of the skull to see if see oh, how that's that cool. comes out. Yeah, that'd be cool. I just saw the other day this guy. Uh, He's like a full-blown taxidermist. I mean, I guess he is because he's kind of practicing. But he takes all the feathers and includes the fan and puts them inside of a a picture frame like on a canvas. So you have uh, the picture frame itself and inside where you're, you're painting or whatever would normally be, it's just all the textures of the bird. But then the fan is also like imprinted or set up in there as well. So if you were to hold it flat and look at it, you know, like it was sitting on top of a table, you would see the contour of the feathers and stuff. But whenever it's uh, like hanging on the wall, you see sort of just the feathers, the texture of the feathers and kind of like the whole pattern. It's very like probably the most artistic way uh, that I've ever seen it, a turkey mounted. It really drew me to it. Um, I was trying to find him. I saw it on on Instagram uh, today. And then I, I think I saw it a couple of days ago somewhere else, but, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't remember the name of it, but it's super cool. Uh, if you get on there and you run across it, I would follow the guy. I think probably my, one of my next turkeys, I'm gonna, I think go that route. It looks super cool, but just a thought. Corey, I have a question for you. Just looking at your photos here. Um, being a, an amateur and, still turkeyless hunter uh i've heard a lot of things about how camouflage is probably the most important thing for turkey hunting and justin you might be able to back that up too but uh and i heard even down to like the the pattern on your shotgun uh can be the can make or break your turkey hunt but i noticed you have an all blacked out shotgun what what are your feelings on that? Do you think that it's like that extra step is important? Because I have an old blacked out shotgun too, but I was debating I whether it's to more, go. More comes you know, down to movement. Get it stamped. Okay. If if you don't if you any slight movement, they're gonna pick out and take off. So you got to be super still. You know, cover cover your skin. So I I had face mask and gloves, and yeah, and everything. 
Um, okay. I'm not experienced enough to tell you whether the uh, a camo shotgun versus a black shotgun is going to make a difference. Um, yeah, I, and, I, and it's just one thing that I've heard from from other other podcasts, other articles, other you know just research that I've done is that uh, like oh everything needs to be camouflaged and you know you can't leave anything that's that it's gonna make an outline or, or a straight line or anything that's not a natural line. So my it, it, my it gives me it gives me hope that you have an all blacked out shotgun and you still got one. Well, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't classify this as your traditional way of getting a turkey. So I would take it with okay. a grain of salt. Um, but my sure, one sure. friend um, <laughs> had success the first day, um, and uh, he has a uh, a light colored wood stock. Uh, and a blued barrel hmm. on his gun for his gun. So take it for what it's All worth. Right. I wouldn't have, I don't think I would, I, I don't know if they make stainless steel shotguns like they do rifles, but I definitely wouldn't have something that's shiny. You want matte black. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. My shotgun was originally black and I, I painted it. Um, actually have a, a really nice tutorial over on the Harvest of Nature website, but it's been many, many years ago that I did that. Um, I don't know. I think it depends. There's definitely a lot of, it's more common now versus like 10 years ago to see camo shotguns, to get hold of them, to even have them dip. Everybody does the hydro dip these days. Yeah, I know you can first light you can send your gun off for like 200 bucks and they'll they'll dip it in the fusion um there's there's lots of opportunities uh, does it play i i don't know i'm along the lines with Corey. i don't have enough experience i mean i've used my camo shotgun and not shot turkeys so um <laughs> I, I would like yeah. to think that that's not the reason it didn't come in but i do understand um you know, using the face mask and trying to cover up your skin and stuff as much as possible. Like, you definitely want to try to blend in um, as much as you can. All right. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind as I, you know, head up to the Pacific Northwest and prepare for my my turkey redemption in the next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have good eyesight and and can pick you out. So that's that's the main thing. Be still. Be quiet. All right, and I mean, like we talked about last podcast, like their their biggest defense is just to run away. So if they see something that they're unfamiliar with or something they're scared of, like more than likely they're just gonna they're gonna dart. Yeah, I just gotta work on sitting still for that long. Well, and I think too, it's important. Like when we talked with Brad too, and even Corey does it. I mean, that sort of like running and gunning, moving around. Uh-huh. Uh and sort of locating the bird versus just kind of blindly sitting in one spot. Um, I think thinking back on, on turkey hunts that I've had, I would have preferred to move a little more, but I think there's a way, you know, there's a way you have to move through the woods when you're, you're going regardless that you, you just be very conscious of like your movements and your sound and, and you're moving slow. You're not sort of like running as it implies, but yeah. Um, I don't know, Cord. Do you have any advice on that? There was times when last year where we were running, you know, to get into position. You know, you, you can kind of 
pinpoint where the turkey's gobbling and know how far he is and kind of, okay, we got to get around along this ridge line or, you know, back through here and get up up ahead of him. So so running and gunning is kind of an apt apt name, but you know, but you know, sneaking in to those birds that were roosted, we were definitely moving slow watching where we stepped with each step didn't want to step on a, a twig or branch to you know make noise but like when we're we hear gobble off off in the distance you're you're trying to get up into a certain position and you know as, as quickly as possible so you can head them off all right yeah. so i i found the video or the the profile that i was talking about um with the the turkey fan mount go look at uh was it champions choice calls on on instagram you'll see it i'll show you i'll pull up the picture real quick so you can see it there's a good a good steal of it oh yeah it's pretty nice yeah that's probably like the most artistic and like interesting way i've ever seen uh the turkey fan mounted i mean it's got kind of like the whole back of the bird there with the fan and then using I'm guessing like the front feathers and stuff uh all around the fan and to fill in the square so that you're kind of got a whole texture. Yeah, it looks pretty neat. Yeah, I'm, I'm skinning it, ripping out feathers like, you know. I kept the wings just cuz just cuz, you know. You going to make make some arrows with the wings. Yeah. But yeah, I felt bad throwing some of those, you know, getting rid of some of those feathers because, like, I, you know, I like to honor what I get. I keep the, even if I get a small buck, I keep the antlers. I kept a few feathers of the of the duck that we got, we got this fall. I keep the squirrel tails, just reminders of the hunt. You got that turkey now. What uh, what are you doing with it as far as as recipes? The meat eater just posted that recipe about the copycat Chick Fil A. Uh, nuggets and that intrigued me so we we used uh, the breasts to do that um, we chunked it up one thing you got to make sure you do so you don't have chewy nuggets is that it has like uh, the breast has like a I don't know if you want to call it a silver skin on it but it has some top layer that would make that makes it chewy if you don't get rid of it so you just just take that top layer off and you have nice tender juicy nuggets and the uh pickle juice in that recipe is the key i think pickle juice and the marinade and then the sugar and the breading i think is what what makes that recipe uh so good and then obviously the sauce the sauce is amazing but uh, and then uh, i braised the thighs wings and legs um and uh, made uh, turkey taquitos um, I used Hank Shaw's recipe as a guide, but I, I add a little bit more um, filling. I sauteed some onions, garlic, um, peppers, and then I put some cilantro in there. And so I did like a scoop of meat and a scoop of the that vegetable mixture and rolled it up and fried it. Those are good, and those are good even warmed up. Warmed them up in the oven today for for uh, leftovers and they were still just as good oh man it sounds good i love i love those little little things and the my only question is well i have two questions uh 
I didn't see the recipe or I didn't see the recipe for Meteor go out. I saw it, but I didn't click on on the details. The which sauce did did they go through? The uh, Chick Fil A has their like signature sauce, but it's I mean super easy to make. You know, like four ingredients that most people would have in their kids. It's like mayonnaise, mustard, honey, and barbecue sauce, and mix that together and. Oh. That's good. And the the breading is what is it? It's breadcrumbs, powdered sugar, paprika, and there's something else. I'm, I can't remember it off the top of my head. And and then you marinate the breast in pickle juice, and then you add the pickle juice. Uh, you know, once it's marinated, you add the pickle juice to like a milk and egg wash. So you you do the egg wash with the milk and the pickle juice and then dredge it in the breadcrumbs it it, it turned out turned out really good kids kids ate them all it sounds up. good do you did you eat it on sunday it's like a special treat when chick-fil-a is closed <laughs> we we must have yeah <laughs> nice Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. Um, let's switch gears here a little bit. I'm going to use that as my segue into talking about, uh, um, hunting via bicycle or even scouting via, scouting via bicycle. Um, I know, and I'm not as much leaning towards sort of the, the e-bikes, the electronic bikes, because I know there's a lot of conversation, uh, and it seems like there's a lot of controversy brewing about that. Um, I'm, I'm focused more on like bicycling you know manually controlling the bicycle uh powering it with your feet (laughs) i guess um i've done a lot of research here and colin and i we we sort of had a strategy towards it for our turkey plans and i think i'll probably use it uh throughout my plans this year into my florida hunting um so We'll probably do that, but I know Corey, you're what sort of motivated you to go towards that to use it as a method to start with? We'll start there. The why? Oh, um, to get away from from other hunters to get back into the birds that no one's getting back into, like a lot of the the game lands and the uh, national forest access points in this area. There's gated roads, you know, so that foresters or 
you know, well tenders or whoever can get back into the spot, but they keep, they're gated and they're locked, so you can't take your own vehicle back. But um, they're relatively easy roads to go on with a bike. So you, and and they a lot of them go for a long ways, so you can you can uh, get back in pretty far in a short amount of time on a bike, get away from from the other hunters and i think i don't know where i read it i don't know if it was like a part of a penn state study but they show that you know the, the turkeys definitely respond to pressure and they move further back into the woods um when they feel that pressure so you know all those guys out there the first week going a couple hundred yards in from the road they're pushing those turkeys further back into the, the property so you know with the bikes we can get back in a long way, be relatively quiet getting back in and get back in pretty quickly. Um, and my, my friend that, that I was with this year when I got my turkey, he's gotten a turkey that way um, the last few years, taking his bike way back in and getting to where, where other guys aren't, aren't willing to go or can't get to quick enough eating better is easy with factors delicious ready-to-eat meals every fresh never frozen meal is chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes including calorie smart protein plus which is the one i like and keto get started today and get after your goals discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Now, what uh, what kind of bicycle are you guys using? Are you guys using high-dollar mountain bikes? What uh, What's your ride of choice? <laughs> um, mine definitely is not a high-dollar mountain bike. I just have a, uh, like a $200 bike from Target that I bought when I was in college. Um, but, uh, I think that's why I struggle to keep up with my friend. He has a nice, I don't know what brand his is, but he has a nice, he has the fat tires and, you know, the disc brakes and yeah, can, can get back, you know, minimum effort, maximum output type of thing. And it's hard for me to, to keep up. It's, it's embarrassing when he's literally, riding circles around me as i'm huffing and puffing <laughs> going up a hill uh, but yeah so you i guess hey man you don't need as, you don't as need my to grandfather used to say well as, as my grandfather used to say third class riding beats first class walking so yeah. <laughs> right but, but you don't need, yeah, you don't need, I, I'm sure he spent over a thousand dollars on his bike, but like I was, I was able to keep up with him. Yeah. I complained a lot, but I was able to keep up with him. 
but on my two hundred dollar <laughs> bike. So you don't need you don't need to dump a ton of cash and to do it. Just your the bike that you have in your garage or your shed or whatever is probably sufficient. You just might have to work a little bit harder. So what are you using um, for your gear and stuff? So I'm I'm asking all these questions to preface it um, to kind of talk about uh, I've got a plan for a little project bike that that I'm getting my hands on. Um, but uh, two two questions I have: the first one being, do you have any kind of like uh, saddlebags or anything on it? Or are you just carrying your backpack? Uh, how are you carrying your gear? I have um, uh, an Allen Company Shocker series. Uh, run, uh, what's it called? Is it a s- s- run and gun or st- I forget the name of it, but it's a, just a little like s- over the shoulder sling pack, and I attach a butt pad to that. Um, and then I have an Allen sling for my gun, and I I put that crossbody. Um, you know, so it's on my back, um, and I just I just do it that way. You travel light. You know, it, I thought I thought having that big, because that my turkey shotgun is is one of the bigger guns that I have as far as length and weight. I thought I was going to have a hard time managing it, but I you know put that crossbody across my chest, the sling across my chest, and kind of cinched it up. A, tighter than what I would normally do if I was just carrying it on my shoulder and it, it didn't move and I was able to bike without much problem and you know that sling pack was easy and just swung it around and you know rested it on like the my side and it didn't get it in the way and it made it made it pretty easy going in and you know with, with turkey hunting did you worry did you worry about uh about your scope getting rattled at all while it was slung across your back? Uh, no, I didn't. Not, not really. I mean, it's, you know, I had, I had it tightened down pretty good. And, you know, I, I wasn't wasn't bouncing off anything. It was, I felt it was pretty secure uh, on my back. And you know, it wasn't bumping against anything. So I didn't worry about it too much. I'm looking at uh, the setup. So I got a a buddy. So I've been looking and and I went into the bike shops and I talked to them about the fat tire bikes and kind of what what they told me is they're like you're a big guy. Um so automatically if you're going to be in like sand or mud or anything the the fat tire bikes going to be more advantageous for you. Um he said riding it around if you're like training or doing anything else like riding on concrete or normal stuff it's it's going to be really terrible but once you get it on trails it'll be better. So I was like, well, all right. So I started doing pricing on all that and I'd still like I'm I'm one of those guys like I'll go to Craigslist, I'll go to Facebook Marketplace, I'll I'll try to hit all the spots to get a a good deal on a used something used or second hand um or even something that needs a little bit of work and put into it before I go out and buy something completely brand new. Um, It's really, it's odd how it works. Like boats, cars, bikes, I guess maybe things with with engines and and or wheels. Uh, It works that way. Some things just, I prefer to buy outright. But the bicycle anyway, to make a long story short, search and search, haven't really found anything. It's just kind of like, all right, if something comes along, it comes along. 
uh, one of my neighbors uh, put out a bike he was going to toss, and it was a nice mountain bike, but the shocks and stuff uh, were rusted up on it. So I was like, well, worst case scenario, like I'm, I'm not going to be going crazy with this, so I'll keep it and just kind of sit on it. And, and if I don't find anything better by the time I'm going turkey hunting, which was this was back in January, February that I'm making these plans sort of for what Colin March first week of April, right? First weekend, first weekend in April. Yeah. First weekend of April was when our Turkey plans were. And, um, we sort of had the same motivation you did what to go. Um, I've talked about it a little bit before on previous episodes, but where we hunted at, it's like, uh, wildlife management land and, you they have these sort of access roads because they run cattle on there and we we did some looking on on onyx and found out like man these roads go back in there but nobody's nobody's going in through these gates except for the you know the property or lease the leasees who are running cattle yeah so really no hunters are probably getting back there like you said like a mile mile and a half maybe because you're gonna have to pack pack in and pack out whatever you need so we were thinking well why not just just bicycle in and we can bicycle out at the end of the day and head back to camp and uh just have more mobility and and be on on foot than being on foot so uh that was sort of our strategy i don't know colin if you had a different appeal or different idea or if, if i kind of pegged it no i'm pulling up our our onyx track um for when we did that and we went uh, a little under six miles in about three hours. And that was like, that was three miles there and three miles back. And there were still, I mean, that wasn't even close to one tenth of the distance of all the trails that like branch off after that. And that's Um, just, that's just along the main road too. You guys were walking. So, no, we were, we were we were driving. Well, we drove up there, but then on that first trail we went by where we camped, we walked back into that area. Oh uh, yeah, remember? But, yeah, we did. Yeah, we moved to we we would go to there's like set kind of little areas we would go park and then we'd walk in, yeah. you know, a half mile or so, and then come back out. Now I think that's kind of the strategy that a lot of the hunters were using because you would see the vehicles parked at the road and then later in the afternoon you'd see the vehicles leaving or you wouldn't see them parked there and like within a couple hours you know guys aren't putting in time to get back in there far so yeah and i mean there's people that live back there still have land back there we saw some of those um swamp buggies going back and forth but i mean there's just there's an endless amount of trails and stuff back there and they're perfect for mountain bikes too because it's it's like that sandy gravel, but it's completely flat. So there's no hills. There's no no, uh, no. There aren't any inclines or anything that you have to worry about. I mean, you can you can get back pretty far pretty quickly on a bike. What was it? We saw a wild pig on on one side of the, the adjacent property that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have seen if you were just on the road. Yep. So, um, I think yeah, the the bicycles definitely appeal to me. Just to also like the the physical aspect of it of like, hey, you're kind of you're putting a little more into it. Like it's advantageous to, to use, but it also requires a little bit of effort. Uh, so going back to sort of my rig, I I've done some research and I've, I found like the saddlebags 
to sort of help distribute the weight so I'm not carrying a big pack. And then I was even, um, a lot of them, I think there's several companies out there that make the different hunting setups for the, uh, for the e-bikes, which you can, I mean, they obviously transfer over into the, you know, uh, regular bike. But as far as like things that hold your gun, things that hold your bow, all that stuff. But I, I got on Amazon and was looking around and, and found uh, a set, you know, Corey, like when you have people on four wheelers and they have those racks on the front of the four wheelers that hold their gun yeah. like on the handlebars. Yeah. I was just looking at that and I was like, you know, uh, probably just get one of those and, and throw on there. I mean, I don't have a scope on my shotgun, so I don't really worry about it getting banged up as much. But then I was thinking like, you know, if we're cruising the trail and there's a, you know, a turkey or wild hog or something that's, that's within opportunity, uh, sort of like you shot your bird. If I was on the bicycle, I figure I could stop, unlatch my shotgun from the front and be able to, you know, take a shot at a turkey, uh, versus like having it slung over my shoulder and maybe not having a quick, a quick enough reaction time. And I, the way that it worked for me, like you wouldn't need saddlebags, turkey hunting. You don't have a ton of gear, you know, just have a good backpack, a good sling, put stuff on your back over your shoulder and, and uh, you can, you, you make it work. I, I was worried about it too. Is like, am I going to be able to pedal the bike with this gun on my back but it like once it got it back there got it tightened up that sling a little bit it was it worked perfectly i didn't need an extra rack on the bike or saddlebags or anything i was just thinking sort of my plan is to build it out because i'll probably use it for uh for deer season two because we'll hit up some of these same like wildlife management areas uh for deer season as well um so I think it'll be an interesting to have that out because my strategy being like, oh, I can quarter it up and sort of balance the weight on the back on the bike, and then then come back to the the trailhead where where the truck is, or come back to camp, depending on where I'm at. But yeah, we'll, we'll try it out, give it a go. With bigger game, it's definitely a different story. You know, I, I wouldn't know how to haul out a a pig or a or a deer. It definitely would require some extra extra equipment or and set up you're looking to maybe like a little tiny trailer or something for it i've seen the the guys using trailers too uh there's a couple companies that make the trailers specifically for it uh i I looked into them um and some of them you get into like the weight like some only hold like 40 50 60 pounds so the thought being like if i went that route i would go with probably putting part of the weight in a backpack too and still just having like a, you know, a, a 30, 40 liter pack and then also having, using the saddlebags or the trailer or a combination of all of it. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it really intrigues me. So I feel like when I get into those situations, I just kind of dig myself in and like, hey, what what scenario would this work? Will it work? Is it is it worth the time and effort I would put into it. But, uh, until then, like sitting around researching on the internet, it's kind of free. So it, it yeah, <laughs> I'm not too much time invested in it. I think it's something to keep an eye on. Cause I think we're going to see the popularity, uh, grow, um, the use of bikes and stuff. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. People were using horses pretty, 
widespread. I mean, people still pack in and use horses yeah, now. Still so, use horses. yeah. So there's there's nothing to say that you can't use a bicycle to to do the same thing as long as you're following local laws and regulations. Uh, but kind of what I wanted to focus a, a good amount of our time on talking about is sort of two things. So Colin's got an upcom- upcoming move where he's going to be shifting coasts over to uh, to Oregon because he's been doing a lot of research into kind of getting settled in as a new hunter. And I think it it was a good point to be able to share with everyone because, uh, you know, people move around, you know, we're in the military, so we move around more frequently than a lot of people. And then after that, I want to touch a little bit on on applying uh, for tags in different states and sort of a, a good process that, that I've used in the past and that I continue to use to sort of decide uh, what I'm going to hunt, where I'm going to hunt, like where my money's going to go, where my time's going to be invested and like sort of how I... I uh, make the decision on zones and and everything like that. So let's start off by by touching base a little bit um, about moving into a new area and hunting. Yeah. um, So as Justin mentioned, I'll be moving from Florida to Oregon, um, but I kind of use the same process for deciding. I already put in my picks for for different hunts in Oregon. I'll, I'll touch on them in a little bit, but... I kind of use the same process as I did for uh, figuring out where we should go in South Florida, mostly because we're at the bottom of the Keys. So even just to get up to South Florida, which sounds weird getting up to South Florida, but it's, I mean, it's a four hour drive. And then it was usually what another one or two after that, just to get to some of the areas that uh, had successful harvest in the past year. Um, and then to get into any of the main you know, highly successful central Florida areas. And that's a, that's a all day of driving. And then a few nights there, uh, a few nights and days there, and then all day driving back down to the, to the bottom of the keys. So I kind of use the same process. Uh, I used to, uh, use a mix of looking at the zones close to where I'm going to be living, which is Northwest Oregon, uh, right on the Columbia river. Um, but also looking at, using the harvest statistics from last year and looking at the success rates for harvesting and the success rates for drawing particular tags. Um, so Oregon is has a system where it's kind of a three-tier system where they have uh, general seasons, they have controlled hunts, uh, which are usually like one or two weeks long for each, uh, each of the ungulates and then also bear and sheep and goat. And then they have premium hunts, which are uh, typically... I think it's August 1st, I have it written down here, um, August 1st to November 30th, and it's for any of the zones, uh, the zone that you pick, but uh, I mean, all season long instead of just a week. And so I kind of I kind of organize it by that. I'm, I'm a big data-oriented person. Uh, I like laying it all out and, and kind of putting it all together to see what makes the most sense, especially when I'm moving to an area that's unfamiliar it's kind of my uh, sensitizing it to sensitizing myself to the area that I'm going to, uh, and then I just weighed the best options uh, for public land within drivable distance, but also that are gonna that usually come up with a, a high success rate for harvest and a su- high success rate for drawing a tag. So it's not just more it's not just a shotgun of random zones and 
and random units uh it, it i try and calculate it out to see you know what makes the most sense um and because of that i you know luckily i'm in an area that has a, a very high success rate for elk uh and also for deer i think it has one of the highest success rates for roosevelt elk in the entire state um but for animals like antelope, I got to drive probably eight hours just to get into antelope range and then to get into an area where that makes sense and it's not in the middle of nowhere for me, that'd be another four hours maybe. So uh, I, I kind of chose my areas like that. So how did you find navigating um, just to acquire the information? Like what, where are you going? What are you looking at? The first place to start and it, this is me coming from a, still a very amateur hunter, uh, hunter and angler. But the first place to start is going to be at your states or whatever state you're looking for at their Department of Fish and Wildlife, Parks and Wildlife, Game Commission website to learn how you need to apply for a license, but also figure out what the regulations and license requirements are, um, whether it's hunter safety. Some states require have different hunter safety requirements than others. Um some require to get a they require you to get a small game license i think most states do that and like a small game license or a precursor license before you can get a, a big game license um so you, you need to figure out what you need to get in order to get a license for your target animal or animals uh, a lot of a lot of states have apps which are pretty helpful we were talking about that earlier before we started recording uh, florida's has, florida has a great app i can get all the wildlife management area brochures through the app i can see exactly what regulations if we can be in a in a wildlife management area looking at a particular animal open up the app and see if it's in season if we're unsure uh it's, it's very easy to use and i can also keep my electronic licenses and tags on the app instead of carrying around paper tags um Oregon's app is great for keeping track of your licenses, uh, not, not to knock on Oregon, but uh, I had some, they don't have a great access to what their regulations are, but luckily their website is excellent. You, I mean, there are links all over the place for accessing the regulations, uh, big 50, 60 page PDF brochures, and that outlines, it outlines everything you need to know for uh, preparing for a hunt and getting your license out there. Uh, I, I tried to stay away from forums a lot and I, I looked up a little bit just to kind of see like oh saddle mountain you know unit 10 what uh what are people saying about that man and I, I, I mentioned this last i mentioned it last episode i just like forums it's just such a slippery slope uh yeah you get and I think Brad probably hit it best. You don't know people's experience levels. You don't know. Exactly. You know, you got one guy on there that throws a sentence up there. It's like Saddleback Region 10 is is the most terrible region ever. And it's like, well, that guy may have like went out and slid down a mountain and, you know, right. didn't see anything because he had to get medevaced out or something. Who knows? Right. And and on, that's exactly what happened um, within about 10 minutes I realized that one dude said that this region was the greatest he harvests every year there. And then another dude was like, oh, I'm just upset because I was here early in the morning and some dudes blew past me on dirt bikes. And it's like, well, I mean, you're on public land. What can you expect? But, you know, maybe you were in their spot originally, you know, and you're, you don't know who you got to look at it from somebody yeah. else's perspective as well. Um, 
and I would say that the only no only way to know for sure is about an area is looking at the data. If you are far away, far removed from it, uh, doing some e-scouting. After I figured out which zones I wanted to hunt, I went on on X and uh, and looked at some areas that would be ripe for the picking for certain animals. Um, looking for the saddles, looking for the bulls, looking for the riparian areas, and then uh, I I. I think I have maybe 30 waypoints in my Onyx right now for the different public land areas around the unit that I picked. Uh, just areas to scout for when I get out there just to look at. Uh, and then once you get there is, is scouting and see what you can find. Luckily, the the towns around where I live have a few pretty healthy elk herds that run through the towns, like block traffic around through the towns. Uh, and then they'll go back out into the mountains and everything. So uh, I'm not worried about the elk out there i just got to wait and see june 20th to see what uh what tags i've drawn and whether it's controlled hunt or a premium hunt and if i don't get either of those then i and you know i go back to the general season which is just as good nice um, yeah uh, and build I, some points in the, in the meantime i think one good resource uh that i'd recommend for a new hunter uh especially if you're interested a lot in hunting public lands is is becoming a member of the backcountry hunter and anglers yep. uh and they have a lot of resources i know um this month they've been pushing out the local chapters have been pushing out a lot of like 101 like here's the guide to hunting this state or here's the guide to hunting this i don't know if you guys have have seen those uh florida just did a a facebook live event and uh <clears throat> did a little one-on-one to show sort of how to navigate the regulations and the drawings and um because here we have like a quota management system and they have redrawings and it's it, it it's yeah. a different system than a lot of other states it's similar but it's different so for someone coming in it would be a good starting point so i would encourage people to do that and even like finding the chapters and reaching out to them and being like hey you know i'm a local guy or i'm going to be a local guy and and i just you know i've hunted here done this and kind of tell me your experience but sort of try to relate and get involved there to to create those opportunities yeah and that, that was actually one of the first things i did was looked up the bha website looked up the oregon chapter you know started following him following them on social media um i i gotta go look and see what i can find about their uh their hunting guides out there um but yeah you're exactly right just navigating i think navigating the license and tag system for a particular state especially when it's unfamiliar and it's new is uh the most overwhelming and most difficult part to get through when you're trying to because i mean you know packing out and getting your gear together it's more or less the same for most places you know i i don't really have much difference between when i hunted in colorado between when i hunted in florida except for number of layers and uh you know the amount of water or whatever i brought with me but um making sure that you're you're following the rules the right way and getting the right tags i think is going to be the the biggest challenge to overcome when you're moving to a new spot yeah i agree and you know just becoming familiar if you're moving to different game species sort of habits and and uh just the the natural world that's going to occur there yeah uh, in comparison i mean you're making a huge change going from florida to oregon uh yeah just from Not species, <laughs> species, yeah. just to the you know the flora and the fauna. Yep. Um, and I, I did see that BHA has uh, 
kind of like a mailing list, but uh, or a a tool to reach out to other BHA members in the area specifically for people who are either trying to get into hunting or are moving to new areas and want to know more about it. And it's kind of like a social group where, like, yeah, I want to go elk hunting in this area. Does Can I go with anybody? Can yeah. anybody kind of show me the ropes? And it seems, I haven't reached out yet because I haven't moved there, but uh, it seems that people are very forward about helping each other out because, I mean, it's all part of the it's all part of the sport, and it's all part of the the social activity of it. Uh, it. It's a good strategy to you know bring new hunters in and and help those who who otherwise like if you get out there and you have a bad experience on your own, you know I hope it wouldn't do this, but it, there's a potential it turns you off. Like right, kind of yeah. as an organization, if you can if you can curb that, then why not? So yeah, that's exactly. Good. I'm, I'm good to see. I'm glad to see those resources available. And I think, um, what I wanted to talk about with, with drawing pretty much falls along the same lines. Um, almost exactly like I'm, I'm a numbers guy too, and kind of very analytical. I don't know. Did you see, you saw my elk hunting spreadsheet I sent out to the, yep to the, the group. Like I spent a good, I think probably two days going through, um, yeah. looking at that. I'll, I'll pull it up here. I got it. And I sent you the one about deer hunting in South Florida too, I think, right? About, yeah. Uh, I was with deer hunting and then um, small game too because we have the, the one recorded squirrel harvest <laughs> in Dinner Island Ranch. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. So I, I took and I looked at, for the elk, I looked at 11 different, no, 10 different states and ranked so uh, obviously state name i looked at season dates throughout the year because i think mm-hmm. that's pretty important in your initial thoughts of like what am i going to do what am i going to apply for you obviously um <clears throat> want to make sure you're going to balance out your year and you're not going to have hunts that are going to overlap each other or if they do right. you got to kind of pick and choose um yeah with me coming from Florida, going to a lot of the western states, uh, or looking at potential for western states for elk, uh, it it made it where I could only, you know, the hope of drawing like one tag in one place. But then also I'm looking at the the cost of the license, and you talked earlier about the small game, uh, right. having to get a small game license before you get a big game, or you know before some states require you to uh, get a hunting license before you even put in for the drawing. Some require Mm -hmm. you to get a hunting license after some states are going to have your hunting license wrapped into the cost of your tag, and you may be putting a hold on your your credit card uh, until the drawing occurs, or they might be charging you outright. Then if you don't draw, they refund later. It's right. very different state to state, so that's one thing I always look at. But then I look at, all right, what's the total cost? You know, for instance, uh, like Pennsylvania, it's pretty inexpensive to, to elk hunt there for a non-resident mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to others. It's very hard to draw because uh, there's a limited number of tags, but right. if you're just looking at a price point like, oh, you know, every year it may cost me like, 11 12 bucks to put in for the drawing and the, yeah it was, the, what's a deer hunting license there like ten dollars or something <laughs> like cool <laughs> the uh the off chance that i draw it you know it, it may cost me another hundred dollars but i'm still looking at, at a pretty low investment 
yeah you know initially excluding the actual hunt um so another thing to look at to really take in consideration when you're looking and trying to decide what species you're going to hunt in different states is to determine if it's open for resident only or Mm non-resident and sort of understanding the difference between resident hunting license and non-resident hunting license. And there's some important ones. I know especially a lot of the elk herds as they're starting to stand them up or get them going in in other states, uh, they're only allowing resident hunters in to hunt those. They're not allowing non-residents to go. So, I think that's a that's an important note and a, a consideration point. The other I thing, would, sorry. Well, I, I would just say one one other piece of advice that I had when I was at least researching Oregon, um, Florida is is pretty simple. I mean, it, it's it's very straightforward. They don't have like like we said with like the limited entry uh, draws that they have, but um, a lot of with the as states increase the number of variation in tags they have so oregon has the the general season the controlled hunts and the premium hunts don't get sucked into thinking that well since it's it's limited entry or it's controlled or it's premium that it's going to be better for you uh i was as i was doing my research i actually found that the i didn't put in for the general or i didn't put in for any um controlled deer hunts because the general season for the area that I wanted to hunt was actually longer than it would have been for the controlled hunts. So of course I want to maximize the amount of time and maximize the amount of uh, chance that I have for a harvest success. Uh, so I just, I'm sticking with the general season for, for deer in my zone that I, that I live in rather than going for the controlled hunt because it's going to give me more of an opportunity to get out there and, and increase my chance of success. So don't with, get don't get sucked into the the limited means better if you can get it. With that though, um, can you put in for both? Can you get in for the the controlled and then also have a, a general hunt tag? So yeah, and this is at least specific to Oregon. If uh, let's say for elk, I don't draw a controlled hunt tag or a premium tag, I can still apply for a general season. It's not like oh my. You know, I lost my chance. Um, but that being said, the difference between the, the general season for deer was had so much better of an opportunity for me just based on the the region that I could still hunt and the length of time I could still hunt. It was so much better for me than any of the controlled hunts around there. I didn't even bother putting in for the controlled hunts because of the time frame. So, um well, I guess my I, let me rephrase the question. So, sure. if you draw the controlled hunt tag, you can mm-hmm. apply for the general hunt tag, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, but if that you was... don't draw the controlled hunt, you can still get a general season tag. Okay. So it's like if it technically, if you wanted to, like you start at premium, you start at premium, then you if you don't draw premium, you go to controlled, then you go to general. Right. Okay understanding Um, and then the difference there between premium controlled is controlled will build you points uh if you don't get your first choice where uh premium is there are no points involved it's just uh you get two or three selections and it's it's just a straight up lottery 
So application open and closing periods. I think it's very important, and and that's one thing I included on the spreadsheet I created. That way you're tracking, all right, these are when the application periods are open, and these are when I need to make my decision by for that area. And that sort of gives you a timeline to say, hey, this is what – you know, I need to figure out what zones I'm going to go hunt. If I'm going to hunt this area, do that. And I actually found uh, there's a really cool Instagram uh, handle – it's called Hunt Reminder. I think I, I tagged you in one, Colin, for the Oregon one. But they'll send you, or they they yeah. post when they yeah. have the states open, and then right when the states are about to close. And I think you can go on their website, and there's like a premium feature where they'll send you reminders. But um, I just check it like once a week and and take a look and see what what they've posted for different states, and uh, kind of use that as a guideline too. But most states on their website are going to have the application periods posted uh, in some sort of report or PDF or anything like that you can go take a look at. And that's an important resource because you know, you know, like early on, you may only have a week to put in for tags in some states. And before you know it, the opportunity to apply is gone. Yeah. Uh, if you're not tracking early. And I, I think basically like starting first of the year, uh, going into February and March, I think a lot of uh, a lot of state wildlife agencies are are approving their hunting season dates and their their plans for the next year in February and March timeframe. So if you kind of have it in your mind to start keeping an eye and following and thinking about your plans for the next year at that point, excuse me, that'll help you. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another important thing I look up, but this is sort of before I even get into the numbers of the zones, I think about, am I going to camp? Am I going to, you know, stay at a hotel, hunt public land during the day and always kind of have a place to come back to at night that's got, you know, warm water and food? Uh, it just sort of depends on, on how you want to do it. But it's something I guess you want to play in, like, how remote is the area that I'm going to hunt and I think Colin mentioned it using Onyx and all those uh, other apps. Some states have uh, public land maps uh, corresponding with like uh, different zones and areas for for their species that you may be hunting. Uh, yeah. They have the public lands listed like in a, a, a GIS map where you can go in and you can look at it and determine like, all right, you know, this zone encompasses or is has these two towns located within it so i know like here's a resource point and blah blah right. blah so i think especially when you're doing kind of what we call like e-scouting that's a good way to to think about it and think outside the box just beyond the hunt and like what species am i going to go for you need to sort of look at at your logistical points too like traveling there getting getting in getting out supplies emergencies like all those things can you drive all the way in or do you have to park at a gate and, and hoof the rest, you know? Exactly. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, too, that you draw a tag and, and they may go with a guide because local knowledge doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard to beat local knowledge. You go in. Yep. It just, it really depends on what kind of hunt you want. And uh, I think we, we talked a little bit about backcountry hunter angl- anglers and the forums and all that, but uh, social media is a great tool as well. Yep. Uh, most of those those groups have their own pages. Uh, there's, you know, I think there's a, there's a couple different pages in Florida that I follow sort of, uh, the Everglades 
and fishing forums, or not fishing forums, but fishing groups and stuff that I that yeah. I look and, and see kind of what information, not always like truth to power on some of those things, but I think it, it's good to just sort of monitor and keep awareness kind of what's going yeah. on. Uh, another um, one too. Go wild too. I mean, go yeah. wild's perfect for it. It's it's exactly what I was just going to say. So go wild. Um, as I'm exploring and becoming more familiar with it, after our, our last episode, there's a, yeah. a recommendation section. So reaching out to others, your fellow hunters in in your area or in the trail within different groups of of go wild, and people can provide you suggestions and help. And in in what I would say is a friendly environment, because you know they're also fellow hunters and anglers, right? And also, you know, I got into Wyoming hunting uh by tagging not tagging along but sort of joining a group who had been hunting there for a couple years and and they got us in introduced us to a local spot and were we were able to then sort of use that that spot the next year to kind of plan our own hunt and kind of bridge out on our own but it was it was a good opportunity to to kind of give take some of that level of uncomfort uncomfort uncomfortable Ugh, i can't talk tonight i know uh, what you mean. yeah <laughs> to uh allow you to be a little more comfortable i guess we yeah could say. all right um it's you know, it's challenging when you go in cold into an area and you're like yeah. all right i'm gonna plan and dump dump a lot of money or dump a lot of time and effort in here and and you you really you know take the take the chance to to not harvest anything just based on not really knowing what's going on yeah, you want to make sure you're getting your money's worth and you're not just wasting time. Yeah. Another point would be uh, once you start looking at areas is to reach out to the state biologist and the fish and wildlife departments. A lot of them will have regional offices. So if you, you kind of drum it down to a region, you might be able to reach out to them. And it's not it's not one of those conversations of like, hey, where should I go? But it's like, what what information can you tell me about this specific area? And like, go in there with a plan to to have questions and a good conversation. Um, you know, people being people, you're going to get some people who are receptive to that and some people that are not. But I think going in, uh, I would say more of like a professional mindset when you're having these conversations is, is a good strategy. Um, yeah. And explaining to, you know, your situation either coming into the state to hunt or being new to the area uh at all and you know do research on the species you're going to hunt make sure you're understanding the habitats just like colin was talking about um going in on x and and marking spots of interest that that he's looking at with the with the flora there and and the trees and and the terrain and and looking for areas where he might find elk and deer so that he can go scout those uh, because he's he's going to have the opportunity to do that. Whereas, you know, me going to Wyoming, I'm not always going to have the opportunity to scout those spots, but I know if I'm kind of looking for certain trends, certain slope, you know, was there a fire in this area on this certain year? Like, you know, those things like that, the environmental aspects that you kind of have to pay attention to in order to understand the species you're going to hunt. Yep. Um... And sort of getting into the numbers, I uh, spot on with what Colin said. Um, a lot of the wildlife agencies um, 
not always at the level of the fishing game it sort of the regulation side of it but digging into the the biologist and and the research side of it you may have to make some additional emails or phone calls or something but getting a hold of reports of harvest numbers for certain areas yeah um, i think wyoming has a really good a really good report that you can run um for the year, the previous year and the previous couple of years, that gives you harvest numbers for an area, for a zone, the hunter days. So you're looking at the, the number of hunters that are, hunt, uh, have tags in that zone. And then you're looking at the numbers of days they're spending a field before they're harvesting something. Yeah. And, and not only that, just how many hunters, like if you have 30 hunters that each spent three days out there, you know, I mean, 90, 100 days, like you're, you're trying to figure out the density and, and how crowded and how yep. much pressure there is in an area. So that's one of the things that we looked for. And one of the reasons we chose Dinner Island Ranch was because it had a pretty, a relatively low number of 100 days while still having high success rates. Um, and it happened to be within driving distance. It wasn't, you know, we weren't spending a whole weekend just to get there for a few hours. And uh, another one too is the, the availability of tags. So, before the drawings will be conducted, most state agencies will put out like, all right, here are our quota numbers for the year of what we're going to give to specific zones. And if you don't have that right. information available, you can look at the previous years to see how many tags were issued. And that gives you kind of a good. So if you take those two points or those th three points and kind of combine them together and then the other thing I would look at too is your success rates and your your drawing odds. So some states will post it publicly and some states won't um, on the your your odds of drawing that particular tag. So it really it really just kind of depends on the state by state. But definitely all these things are are worthy uh to look into and i think it, it gives a good a good baseline for sort of figuring it out uh where to go and then of course you got to look at the preference point system some states have them some states don't uh some states are just outright draw you know like we talked yeah. about kentucky elk is outright draw pennsylvania Corey is pennsylvania preference points for elk or are they just outright draw yeah that we uh, there's points there's a point system Okay. Right. So how many how many points do you have? I have like four or five. Nice. What's the does Pennsylvania publish about the average number of points needed for tags? Uh if they do, I don't know about it. They might, but I'm not sure. That's fair. I know some states do, some states don't. Another recommendation. I would have is look at your time, how much time you can spend and how much, uh, like going back to what we said, the harvest days, a field, like how many days are people spending out there and sort of basing that, that way you like, all right, if the average person is spending three days, but I know that I'm new to the area, maybe I need to tack on an additional two, uh, just to get familiar. Cause you know, your first day, unless you're super lucky is, is going to be just going out and scouting and kind of getting a lay of the land, and trying to figure out what's going on. So you can automatically burn some days there. Uh, another suggestion I have too is if you're 
interested in hunting in an area and a species is oftentimes your your doe or cow tags are going to be much uh, less expensive. So maybe your first year, purchase one of those tags, hunt the area, get the lay of the land, and really understand the behavior of the animals and the behavior of you know the environment. And that way, maybe coming back next year with a little more confidence, with a little more knowledge under your belt, you have the opportunity to harvest you know a mature buck or a mature bull um, of whatever species you're looking at. But just just something to consider. Um, kind of in the back of your mind as you're planning. And then the, the last thing I, I really want to harp on is as you go to places and you're hunting, um, you know, be be an ambassador for the hunters and anglers. Like when you meet people, when you meet the locals, you know, uh, treat them with respect. You're going to their place to hunt. And you'd be surprised if buying a – you know, a guy a beer at the bar and, and asking how his, his day of hunting's going or whatever opens up doors and can create opportunities maybe for you next year, uh, whereas you, you may not have those. So kind of try to spend some time understanding the locals and, and hanging out and uh, getting to know them as well and, and seeing what you may stumble into uh, for your following seasons. So uh, I think, Colin, do you have any questions on any of that? Uh, it's kind of a, a comprehensive rundown in my jumbled no, brain. I mean, no, I don't really have any questions about it. It's, um, you know, forgive me for just talking mostly about Oregon. It's just the most recent you know, experience that I've had. But um, I'd say just take that that measured and calculated and analytical approach to any state that you're looking for. Um but no, I don't have any questions of mine. I hope maybe, you know someday you guys can come out to Oregon and we can hunt together once I figure it out a little bit more. Yeah, you got it, man. First year's on you. Second year, I'll be out there. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. <laughs> um, um, I would say like two for people. Don't don't be. You know, in the lower forty-eight, excluding some states, like you can probably go to different states and hunt public land with with a good amount of safety like you start getting into alaska you get into canada and uh, a lot of the the larger game like you're gonna your logistic your logistical picture is going to change and it's going to require some more forethought and planning and you know you may start planning a year out for for a trip but within the lower 48 like don't let the fact that you're going to a new place to hunt be an intimidating factor and keep you from going hunting. Like get out there and try things like go with a group of guys. You're going to create bonds and memories and everything, whether it's good, it's bad. If you all tag out or nobody tags out, like you're going to, you're going to spend time in the field and a day out hunting is better a day in the office. And if you're with your friends and you're learning something new and, and chasing you know, new species and new places. It's, it's a, it's a cool adventure. So I just encourage everybody to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Corey, do you have any final thoughts or any questions for us? Uh, as we kind of ran through that application chat? Uh, no, I know the, the PA application and timing and, um, can get confusing and we could probably make that its own episode, but, it's like Colin said, and a lot of times it's it's something that you need to 
navigate first, and it, a lot of times it's the most difficult part, most daunting part. But, uh, yeah, I, I have never hunted out of state. I've always hunted in Pennsylvania, so I grew up, you know, knowing the system, so it seems pretty easy to me. But, you know, a friend uh, just moved to the area a couple years ago, used to hunt out west, um, moved to Pennsylvania, and hasn't hunted because he hasn't really wanted to dive into learning the 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 uh, the system. Just hasn't had the time. So yeah, I, I realized how how daunting it can be if you're an outsider. Yeah, I uh, I've been trying to dig a little bit into Pennsylvania, and I mean, I spent like I said, I looked at ten different states. And uh, trying to sort of understand the overview of, of each state from a high level enough to put it in a spreadsheet and explain it to five or six people so we can make educated decisions on where we're going to go this year. Uh, yeah. I give it out to those people who are kind of monitoring it all. And it's 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 a cool a cool trend and, and something very brave to get out and understand. It's a very, you know, the fish and game regulations are very dynamic too. There's a lot of changes that go on, things that happen. Um, Colin, do you have any last thoughts, comments? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I'm coming into this as a, a still very new hunter, so uh, if anybody else out there is, is experiencing something similar or not sure where to start, feel free to hit me up and uh, you know, we can work through it. Yeah, and that's a good uh, – so you can always email us uh, questions or comments or even corrections at uh, what's cooking at harvestinnature.com. Uh, I see those emails. Share them with the guys when they come in. Uh, any any reviews or critiques we have, we, we always are on top of those. Try to stay pretty engaged with everybody who's listening out there. Um, a, lot, a lot of knowledge and – available out there in the world uh, and you know I don't claim to be an expert on any of it um, but uh, doing research and, and just getting out there and learning is probably one of the biggest things so uh, my last comments are um, I'm excited to hunt in different locations this year I'm putting in for alligator hunting in South Florida oh, I'll nice. try a, a DIY uh, alligator hunt and it's going to be interesting but uh nonetheless too trying to head out to wyoming again kentucky pennsylvania we'll see uh by the time you listen to this podcast we'll know if i drew tags in kentucky uh odds are not in my favor so we'll see um <laughs> how that's going to go uh outside of that so same thing like i said email us questions comments concerns give us a review whatever podcast platform you're listening to uh i've got it in my mind we might be doing a giveaway here soon so we'll see uh might be doing some cool uh processing equipment as a good giveaway uh like i said that'll be coming down the road so stay tuned for that info and as always give us follow social media so we appreciate you have a good night.